700 years ago. 700 years ago. That would be thir the year 1318, right? 700 years ago, 1318. That's a long time ago, if you stop to consider it. Uh, that's before Europeans even discovered the Western Hemisphere, right? Well, what do we say? 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. So this is a what, 175 years before Columbus ever sailed to the Western Hemisphere. Uh, that's a long, long time ago. You stop to think about it. Think of all the history that's taken place since, 13, since the year 1318, 700 years ago. All right, now try to imagine this. 700 years ago, in the year 1318, some guy made some predictions about what's going to happen in our lifetime. Some guy predicted back in, in the year 1318, before Columbus ever sailed to the New World, in 1318, some guy made a prediction about something that was going to happen in politics. Maybe he predicted that a, a successful businessman would become the president of a powerful nation uh, in North America. I mean, the United States didn't even exist back then, of course. But he predicts something, and, and you can see in his prediction that he's clearly talking about Donald Trump will be the president of the United States of America. How would he know that 700 years ago? Or maybe, maybe this guy 700 years ago predicted that you would be able to carry around something in your pocket, and by pushing a few buttons, you could connect with people in other places, send messages, obtain information, look up stuff, and read about it, on a thing you held in your hand, he predicted that 700 years ago. Would you think that's pretty amazing? I would, wouldn't you? I would think that's downright amazing, just almost incredible to consider that such a prediction could be made and it would come true. All right, I think a lot of you know where I'm heading already. If that is amazing, if that sounds amazing, then you ought to really be impressed exactly with what Isaiah did. Because that's what Isaiah did in the prophecies that he made that are recorded in the book of Isaiah in our Old Testament. Isaiah lived approximately 700 years before Jesus. And yet he made predictions about what, what would happen. For instance, uh, some of the most beautiful prophecies about the Messiah are in the book of Isaiah. Chapter 53 uh, is just an awesome description of the sacrificial death that Jesus would die on the cross of Calvary. Isaiah made those predictions 700 years before. And they were specific, and they came true in exact detail. That is really incredible. Again, I, I, I want you to try and grasp the time frame of that. What Isaiah did in his predictions about Jesus are the equivalent of somebody in the year 1318 predicting things that would happen in our lifetime. That's how amazing it is. We know about the prophecies of Isaiah concerning Jesus and the work that Jesus would do, the, uh, the sacrificial death that he would die. But Isaiah also made predictions and prophecies about the church. And tonight I want us to look at a prophecy uh, about the church that we read here in Isaiah chapter 2 in the text that Mark read for us just a few moments ago. We'll read that here in just a minute. And you might want to turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 2 to look at this really remarkable prophecy about the church that Isaiah made. Before we get to that, we stop just to say thanks to everybody for being back on Sunday night. We appreciate you very much. 
We always look forward to these Sunday evening assemblies and the time that we can be together to worship God, study from His Word. Thanks for being a part of that. Thanks for your interest that brings you back here. And for any and all who may be visiting with us tonight, thanks for coming, and we want you to come back every time that you have a chance to be here. Let's read this text. Isaiah chapter 2, beginning verse 2. It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to, the uh, up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. I want to suggest to you that this prophecy of the church answers all the basic questions that one might ask about the church. For instance, this prophecy explains what he's talking about. What is this about anyway? Notice that it talks about the Lord's house and it talks about the house of the God of Jacob. Now, what's he talking about there anyway? Well, first of all, he's not talking about the house of God being the temple in Jerusalem. Because this is talking future tense, right? Isaiah is saying something's going to be happening, something's going to be established. He calls it the Lord's house, the house of the God of Jacob. But Solomon's temple already existed, right, in the time of Isaiah. Solomon's temple would have been around for two, th almost 300 years by the time that Isaiah prophesied. It was going to be destroyed coming up in the Babylonian captivity times. We know that. But this is talking about something future that was going to transpire. Solomon's temple, for one, already existed. He wasn't talking about Solomon's temple. This prophecy was about the church. I want you to notice that in the New Testament, the church is called the house of God. Look in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul says, I, uh, If I tarry long, he says, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come to thee shortly. Verse 14, verse 15, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself, in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Notice, the house of God is the church of the living God. Do you see that? So when Isaiah was prophesying about something about the Lord's house being established, the house of the God of Jacob, what was he talking about? Well, Paul equates the house of God with the church of God. Look in Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 19. In Ephesians 2... Verse 19, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. We're among the saints. We're of the household of God. And so I think it's very clear, no doubt about it, that Isaiah here was prophesying about the church when he spoke of things pertaining to the house of God, uh, the Lord's house. All right. So now a follow-up question would be not only what was he talking about, but when were these things supposed to take place? Well, right at the very beginning, he says, this is going to come to pass in the last days. Well, what does that mean anyway? Well, we certainly understand this to be a reference to this last dispensation of time that we live in. Sometimes we talk about the three great dispensations of time. In the Old Testament, we start out in the Old Testament talk about the patriarchal dispensation. And in that time, God spoke directly to the patriarchs or heads of families. And so, so we see 
God speaking directly to Noah. We see God speaking directly to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God interacted with the family heads in a direct way during that patriarchal time. That was followed, at least especially, particularly for the descendants of Abraham. That was followed by what we identify as the Mosaic dispensation time. And for those descendants of Abraham, God gave a specific law through Moses on Mount Sinai. we often refer to that as the Mosaic dispensation. But now we live under the Christian age. We live in the Christian dispensation. A little bit of background may help us on this. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, you remember, you remember the scene there. Uh, day of Pentecost, the apostles, we're going to talk a little bit more about this in a minute, but the apostles were... Uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues. You remember how that all took place. Uh, And so as they are speaking in tongues, the Holy Spirit is empowering them to speak in tongues. Uh, It says, everybody, verse 12, Acts 2, verse 12, all were amazed and were in doubt, one uh, saying one to another, what meaneth this? These guys speaking in tongues, what means this? Others mocked and said, these men are full of new wine. These guys are drunk. They're acting this way because they're drunk. Verse 14, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my word. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet uh, Joel. It will come to pass in the last days, saith the Lord. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into the blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want you to especially notice there that Peter says, verse 16, this is that. What's happening here? We're speaking in tongues, this empowering of the Holy Spirit. What is, what's going on here? Peter's answering that. He says, this that you're seeing, this that's taking place right now here on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet of Joel. Well, what did Joel say? Joel said, verse 17, so he then quotes Joel, it will come to pass in the last days, saith God, and then he goes on with that prophecy that we just read. Joel said that these things would take place in the last days. Peter said, this is what Joel was talking about. So what does, what does Peter say then? What was the time frame in which this was taking place? Last days. Last days, right? We would say in this Christian age or in this Christian dispensation. And so uh, Isaiah, in our text, was prophesying something about God's house, the establishment of God's house, which is the church, and he said it would take place in the last days. Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost, Peter said these are the last days and this is fulfillment of that sort of thing. So we have an answer to when it would happen. The church would be established in the last days. But also in this prophecy of of, uh, Isaiah, we have information about where it would take place. Notice, out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem is identified as where this would happen. 
That's kind of interesting because Jerusalem, although it was a significant city in the time, it wasn't considered a major city, the most major city of the world at least. Certainly Rome would have been a more significant place to start a big movement. Maybe Athens and Greece or some other place like that. But Isaiah, 700 years beforehand, said, no, this is all going to take place. It's going to start at Jerusalem. Well, again, we know that that is exactly what did happen concerning the establishment of the church. Look in Luke chapter 24. In Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 46, Jesus said to his apostles, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. Uh, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Well, Luke recorded those instructions from Jesus, not only there, but when we get to Acts chapter 1, some of that same thing is repeated, same author, Luke, Look in, Luke, uh, look in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Stay in Jerusalem. This is going to take place in Jerusalem. Go right over to chapter 2. In chapter 2, at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a mighty, a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Well, there you have it. Right? Isaiah was right. He said it's going to take place. The word of the Lord's going to be sent out from Jerusalem. This is all going to begin at Jerusalem. It's going to be the establishment of the Lord's house, His church. It's going to, this is going to happen in the last days. It's going to start in Jerusalem. It all fits, doesn't it? Isaiah, 700 years beforehand, was predicting these things exactly. All right. Well, a subsequent question would be, who? Who would enter into God's house, the church? Well, he says that... All nations shall flow unto it. That's kind of interesting. All nations will flow into this house of God that's going to be established in the last days, starting in the city of Jerusalem. All nations will flow to it. That wasn't the case under the Old Testament, as you're well aware. Under the Old Testament law of Moses, Gentiles were forbidden to be in the area of the temple of God. In Jerusalem, even. In the time of Christ... Uh, there was a, an outer court beyond the walls of the, of, the, of the temple grounds that was called the court of the Gentiles. Gentiles weren't allowed to enter even to the temple grounds, much less approach the temple itself. They weren't allowed to enter the temple grounds. The temple was surrounded, and beyond that was the court of the Gentiles. And the court of the Gentiles was separated by, from the temple grounds by a wall, a stone wall, four and a half feet tall surrounded the side of the temple. Gentiles weren't allowed to cross that. In fact, there were signs posted warning Gentiles in both the Greek language and the Latin language, you cross this wall, you're subject to death. There was a wall between the Gentiles and the Jews. It's interesting that 
Paul mentions that in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. A lot of commentators think that when he spoke of that middle wall of partition, he may have been alluding to this wall that surrounded the temple grounds and the Gentiles couldn't come across. There were signs warning, you come across this wall, you'd be subject to death. There's no such wall now. All nations can flow into this house of God. That's really a significant thing for us in particular. We're not physical Jews, right? We're Gentiles. But the fact that that middle wall of partition has been broken down, we're not excluded now from the house of God. We're, in, we're invited to come in, in fact. All nations will flow into it. Pretty amazing that Isaiah would have made that prediction because Isaiah lived under a time when that wasn't the case at all. Other nations were excluded. Other nations were not the people of God. Israel exclusively was the people of God. But now in this future time that he's predicting about, all nations will flow into the house of God. That's really amazing, and it's also something for us to be particularly thankful about. We could also ask, why was this going to happen? Why would... This, this is really describing a whole new system of things, right? Isaiah's 700 years before it happened, Isaiah's saying the old system's going to be taken away, and a whole new system is going to take its place. Why was that needed? Why was a new system needed? Well, I think that's emphasized right here when he talks about we will walk in his path. This new system was... was essential so that men could be right with God and walk in His way. We know, of course, that men can't direct their own steps. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 10, 23, it's not in man that walketh to direct his steps. We're just not capable of figuring it out on our own. But we also know that that Old Testament law of Moses wasn't the perfect solution to the problem. In Hebrews chapter 8, beginning verse 8, the Hebrew writer says, Finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. So the Hebrew writer quotes Jeremiah and said, There's a new day coming, and a new covenant is going to be established. The reason being is the old covenant wasn't perfect. The old covenant didn't accomplish everything that man needed. What man needed was a way to know and walk in the paths of God. And that was going to be accomplished when this church was established, the house of God was going to be established, and men would have the opportunity to be in fellowship with God and walk in his ways. Well, Isaiah's right on, isn't he? 700 years before the fact, he's hitting his marks exactly. What, when, where, who, why? And then finally, this prophecy of Isaiah answers the question about how this was all going to take place. And it involves people saying, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. And so, the idea that Isaiah is presenting here is that of an open invitation Everybody's invited to come. There's an open invitation. But there's a requirement that people take personal initiative in order to access the benefits. The invitation is there. 
But you've got to say, come on, come with me. Let's, let's go up uh, to the mountain of the Lord. Uh, so again, open invitation, but you've got to do something about it. And of course, that idea is just repeated over and over again. In the New Testament especially, we see the idea of, of the, that salvation is possible, it's available, but you have to act in order to have it. And a well-known invitation along that line is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Even in that invitation, that well-known invitation that Jesus extended there, he invites everyone to come, but it's upon us to respond. We have to come. He will take the burden that we can't carry, but we have to take his burden that's easy and light. And so uh, we get the idea that Isaiah was saying effectively the same thing here. You're going to be able to, to come to the house of God if you take the initiative. Come, let us go up to the mountain uh, of the Lord. And so, again, we see all the answers there in those couple of short verses in Isaiah's amazing prophecy about the church. What would it be? It would be the church, right? The house of God, clearly synonymous with the church. It would start in the last days. Those last days began after Jesus died on the cross and nailed the Old Testament law of Moses to the cross. We now live under the, the final dispensation of time, the Christian age, the last days. So it would be the church in the last days, beginning at Jerusalem, everybody can come so that you can walk with God but you have to respond to his invitation. It's pretty neat that Isaiah had all of that in this one simple prophecy about the church. We now live in that time. We are the beneficiaries of this eternal plan that God had through the church for our, for our spiritual well-being and ultimate salvation. It's an amazing thing. We maybe, I think almost certainly, take it too much for granted. Are you grateful for the church that the Lord established? Are you glad that God had such a plan and brought it to fruition and that we now live in the time of the fulfillment of all of these things. Everything that even a, a great prophet like Isaiah could only see in a shadowy sense by prophecy. It's all come to pass. We see it fitting exactly according to the predictions that were made and now we have it here for us to enjoy and to, to benefit from. It's an amazing thing. We should be grateful. What's your situation? As we were saying, Isaiah predicted it. It's been repeated over and over again. There's an open invitation to all who want to come to be a part of God's household, but you have to respond. Have you responded to that invitation? Are you a Christian? Have you obeyed that gospel plan of salvation? If not, we hope you'll make that decision to do so. If you're a Christian already and you need the prayers of the saints, let us know. We'd be glad to pray with you and for you. How can we help? Let us know while we stand and sing. Oh, Lord.